This morning I would ask you to take your Bibles and make your way to the New Testament book of John. A very familiar passage of Scripture, John chapter number 3. We're going to be in John chapter number 3 this morning, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and verses 1 through 10 are going to form the basis of our text today, John chapter number 3, verses 1 through 10. In John 3, verse number 1, the Bible reads, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? The title of the message this morning is again in the form of a question. Who goes to heaven? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've already been in your house today. We rejoice in these old hymns that we're able to sing and the the scriptural message through these old hymns. And Lord, as we center our service on worship of you, Lord, it's impossible to do that if we're not in your word and we pray that this morning as we get into your word that you would by your holy spirit instruct us and teach us and help us lord to understand your word and lord particularly as it relates to the subject of heaven and most importantly today lord who goes to heaven lord as we read this interaction between nicodemus and our savior jesus lord help us to glean from this and to understand what it is that jesus is saying and teaching And Lord, I pray that we can say of a truth that there was a time when we were as Nicodemus, blind and lost and undone, and yet having heard the Word of God in power, we understand and understood that apart from the work of Jesus, we could never see or enter into your eternal kingdom or even your kingdom here on this earth. Lord, I pray that you'd work in souls today as only you can. I pray that you'd bless, lead, guide, and direct. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who goes to heaven? We've stated emphatically, as we've begun each of the messages in the previous weeks, that 2022 will be a good year if we as Christians can think on our eternal dwelling place. A few weeks back, we started this short series on heaven. In the first sermon, we discovered that, yes, heaven is a real place. 
In the second sermon, we considered what heaven will be like. And in the third sermon last week, we talked about just what we will do in heaven. Now today we reach the pinnacle of our study on heaven. It is, I believe, the most important message in the series. And it poses this question, who goes to heaven? Now in our text, this man by the, Nic- by, by the name of Nicodemus literally has his world shaken. Jesus explains to Nicodemus that in his current state, Nicodemus was not going to heaven. We could have sat here and preached and listened to these messages over the last few weeks on heaven and understood that heaven is a real place and looked at all the physical beauty and the perpetual bliss and the presence of the Father and the Lamb in heaven and said, man, what a wonderful place. I want to make sure I'm going to be in that place. And then we could have considered what we will do there and the the uh, the majesty of the Almighty and worshiping Him and said, you know what? I, I want to make sure that I'm able to worship God throughout eternity along with the other activities that we talked about. But none of that is possible if you don't meet the criteria that the Bible gives us as to who it is that goes to heaven. I was at one point in my life like Nicodemus. And I'll explain more about that later on. Jesus, in the midst of his conversation and discussion with Nicodemus, explains just who is going to heaven. Now perhaps you have listened to the messages and the series, and you still aren't sure whether or not you're going to be in heaven or who is going to be in heaven. Well, pay attention today. By the leadership of the Lord, we hope to answer the question, who goes to heaven? There are two views that we will take in attempting to answer the question. All of this based on Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John chapter number 3, verses 1 through 10. The first view entails who does not go to heaven. And very simply, the second view discusses those who do go to heaven. And so this morning, as we consider this soul-searching, personal, bold, important question, who goes to heaven, are you going to heaven? We begin by taking this view in attempting to answer the question, who does not go to heaven? We find this revealed to us in Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. And I want you to look at Nicodemus. I want you to notice who Nicodemus was and what he was. And in spite of who he was and what he was, he was not bound for heaven. Now, let's think about who does not go to heaven as it relates to Nicodemus. Using Nicodemus, if you will, of our type of who does not go to heaven. Well, first of all, The religious do not go to heaven. The religious. In other words, what I mean to say this morning is that it is not just religion that will save you. We've posed the question before, 
And uh, I refer to an old tract that we used to hand out when we go door-to-door visiting all the way back in our time in Wichita Falls, Texas, and then over in Minnesota with Brother Mark King. Uh, Religion or salvation? Which have you? Religion does not save an individual. I want you to think about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was of the utmost religious person. Think about Nicodemus' religion. He was a Pharisee. In verse number 1, the Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. You remember the different types of Pharisees that there were. There were seven different types of Pharisees. The Pharisees were separatists. They were accurate in the minutia of the law of God. They were self-righteous individuals. They focused all about what was to be excluded or included in our lives. The Lord described them as straining at gnats in Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 24 where He said, Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, they missed the large picture of what the Lord was all about. Seven times in Matthew chapter 23 verses 27 and 28 the Lord called the Pharisees hypocrites. Actually, in Matthew chapter 23, but verse 27, 28, bring that home to a T. Now, I want you to think about the contrast between the religious Pharisee and the saved sinner. Turn with me to the book of Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18, verses 9 through 14. You know this passage well. We've looked at it multiple times in the past. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. These were religious people that he was talking about. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And of course you understand that the publican is given as the prototypical sinner, despised of men, and of course uh, cast out by God. Notice here, in verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, notice the Pharisee, the religious person talking about how great he was and all that he did. He fasted and he gave and obviously he prayed. But then contrast that with the publican. In verse 13, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, or the Pharisee. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus is teaching emphatically that the religion of the Pharisee would not save him. The fasting and the alms and the praying and the observance of the most minute detail of the law of God was not enough to save the Pharisee. Folks, Religion will not save you. Who's going to heaven? Not somebody that just has blind religion as their basis 
for entrance into heaven. Notice here when we're looking at Nicodemus that he was religious. We see that he was a Pharisee. But not only was he a Pharisee, he was an instructor of the Pharisaical religion. Notice in verse number 1 he says here uh, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. But then look down at verse number 10. In verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto him, unto Nicodemus, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? What does the word master mean? It literally means an instructor. Nicodemus was an instructor of the Pharisees' religion, and yet he was blind and lost and undone. He was not bound for heaven. Nicodemus is being instructed by the Almighty here, the Son of God, that Nicodemus, you know who doesn't go to heaven? Folks that are trusting and relying on their religion to save them. Notice that it's not just the religious that go to heaven. But notice as well, here we see Nicodemus as a ruler. As a ruler. And so, we make the point this morning that it isn't the person that relies on their office or their position that goes to heaven. Nicodemus is described here as a ruler of the Jews. The word ruler literally means a commander or a chief leader. Now, I believe that this has to do with the fact that Nicodemus served on the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the judicial and administrative court of the Jews. It would be like our Supreme Court. Now, in the Sanhedrin, where they had roughly 70 individuals that would serve on the Sanhedrin, we have nine Supreme Court justices. We have eight associate justices and one chief justice. Now, say what you will about the members of the Supreme Court, whether or not you agree with them or not, but you're not going to find a homeless guy serving on the Supreme Court. You're talking about people that in the Sanhedrin, the judicial and highest administrative court of the Jews, you're talking about people that were doctors that in the law. They were wise men. They were priests and Levites and elders in Israel. They were people that were to be looked up to in the flesh. And this was Nicodemus. But you know, Nicodemus' religion could not save him. And the fact that he was a ruler could not save him. Think about all of the biblical examples of people that served in some type of office, whether it be in religion or whether it be in, in society, and how the Bible talks about the fact that they were still lost without meeting the requirements of God to enter into heaven. Think about Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was a preacher. Being a preacher doesn't save you. Judas Iscariot was the treasurer of the first church that ever existed. Being a church officer will not save you. Judas Iscariot is one that performed miracles. And when the Lord told the disciples that someone, one of them, was going to betray him, all of them said, is it I? They did not point out or see that it would be Judas Iscariot. And yet Judas was a lost man. Think of this man by the name of Cornelius. In Acts chapter number 10, verses 1 and 2, listen to the description of Cornelius. He was a devout man. That means he was faithful in his religious observance. He uh, feared God. He gave alms. And listen to this, and this puts me to shame. He prayed always. And you know what, Nick, uh, what uh, uh, 
Cornelius was? He was a Roman centurion, which means that he was a commander over a division of Roman army soldiers. And he was lost. And then we think about Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee himself of the stock of Benjamin. He describes himself as being blameless in the law and yet lost. And there are many that believe and quite possibly accurately that Paul was himself a member of the Sanhedrin. Whatever he was, he had authority because he went and he hailed and he he took captive and arrested Christians and killed them for their testimony for Christ. Paul was a religious man with authority. He was a ruler and yet he was lost and undone. Who does not go to heaven? Somebody who is relying on their religion, religion will not save you. Somebody who is relying on their position, Nicodemus was a ruler. And then how about this, and this might shock you. Somebody who has a just a recognition of who Jesus is. I want you to notice that Nicodemus had a recognition of who Jesus was. Notice, first of all, Nicodemus recognized and believed in the position of Jesus. Because we notice here in verse number 2, watch what the Bible says in in John 3 verse number 2, the same, this is Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. This is Nicodemus recognizing the position of Jesus. Now the term Rabbi literally is a title of honor. It became a term that people desired to be equated with. You know, a lot of times today, you see preachers, and this has gone on for years, they want to be called doctor. Dr. Mel. Because I've gone and attained a certain level of education, I want to be called doctor. Listen, titles don't mean anything. There were many that recognized that Jesus was a rabbi and called Him with the title of honor and yet denied Him. In fact, just one reference, we're not going to look at it, you can write it down. But there are lost Jews in John chapter 6, verse 25, that called Jesus not only rabbi, but also called him Lord, which we've discovered before is the Greek word kurios, and it means supreme in authority, and these were lost Jews. And so just a recognition and a belief in the position of Jesus does not make you a saved person who is bound for heaven. The lost young man in Matthew chapter number 19, verses 16 and 17, said, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so it isn't, it isn't just a recognition of who Jesus is or was. There are many today that believe in Jesus' position as prophet, as a philosopher, as a martyr, and they recognize him in all of these offices and positions that he filled, and they're lost and undone and will never enter into heaven. Nicodemus had a recognition of who Jesus was in the, as he believed in the position of Jesus, and he certainly believed in the person of Jesus. Because in verse number 2, he says that we know that thou art a teacher, now watch, come from God. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was God sent. Do you know that surveys reveal that 82% of the people that are asked actually believe 
that Jesus was the Son of God. Another 80% believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and virgin born. And yet, all of this amounts to what? Nothing as it relates to entering heaven. James talked about just a belief in God and in one God. Nicodemus is saying, I know that God sent you. I know that you're of God. And James wrote it this way. James said, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. And so just a head knowledge and a, and a, a recollection and, and understanding, a, a recognition of who Jesus is, the position of Jesus, the person of Jesus, do not amount to somebody entering into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus had a recognition of the power of Jesus. Because he says here in verse number 2, For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And so he had a belief in the power of Jesus. Do you know this morning that you can have a belief and a recognition of the person of Jesus and the position of Jesus and even the power of Jesus and not have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior that will guarantee you entrance into heaven. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you possess all of these things and yet you are not entering into the kingdom of heaven. Folks, this is what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. We talked about the devils believing that there's one God and trembling, and yet they're not saved. Listen to these uh, verses that detail how the devils believe in the power of Jesus, and yet certainly were not saved. In Luke chapter 4 and verse number 34, there's this legion that says, uh, Let us alone. What, we, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Folks, these are devils. And then in Luke chapter 8 and verse number 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. He had a belief in the power of Jesus. Who is not going to heaven? There are many church members who are not going to heaven. I was a lost church member. And I know what I'm talking about. There are many church members who are religious. There are many who hold on to their position and think that because they have some authority here in the church or even in religious matters or even in secular matters that that merits something with God. There are many today that can tell you about Jesus and about His death on the cross and their belief in the, in the power and the ability of Jesus that He's the Son of God and yet they've never repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. They are like Nicodemus. They are not entering heaven. There are those who are not going to heaven. Now, I want to say this morning that I'm limiting what we have to say here about those who are not going to heaven we're limiting this to Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, but we could also add in that those are not going to heaven that are, that are just relying on their own renovation of the flesh and turning over a new leaf. There are those that are relying on the fact that they're, they're without reproach and that they've somehow done away with their sinfulness and they're going to heaven. We could spend a great deal of time talking about them, but again, we're limiting what we have here with the interaction of Nicodemus and Jesus who does not go to heaven 
people like Nicodemus. Well, then that leads us to the second view that we want to take. This one is much more heartening and encouraging. Well, then who does go to heaven? Well, in verses 3 through 10, we see that Jesus reveals who is going to heaven. Now, how does Nicodemus... And I'm going to tell you this. Nicodemus, if you read your Bible, I believe you'll understand and see that Nicodemus went from being somebody who was not going to heaven to somebody who was going to heaven. How did that happen? How did Nicodemus go from not going to heaven to going? Well, Jesus' discussion and interaction with Nicodemus has a purpose to show how somebody goes from not entering to entering. And so, first of all, as we think about those who do go, who goes to heaven? Well, first of all, those who are conscious those who are conscious of the prerequisite. And what's the prerequisite? Being born again. Being born again. Though Nicodemus was a religious leader, what he was hearing was completely foreign to him. He had no understanding of what Jesus Christ was talking about. And Jesus here is designing this for multitudes of others that would read through the years that he might use this to bring others that are like Nicodemus into a right relationship with him and thereby gaining entrance into heaven. Notice Jesus' introduction in verse 3 of the prerequisite. Jesus introduces the prerequisite in verse number 3. What's the prerequisite to enter into heaven? Well, notice in verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily. By the way, verily, verily literally means truly, truly. Not just truly, but truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know what the prerequisite is? The prerequisite is being born again. Now, before we get to that, Look at what Jesus says. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's important for us here, and then why is it that why is it important that you pay attention to messages and teaching? Because those build upon one another. And we preached a, a series of messages a few years back on the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? And in those messages, and I certainly don't expect you to remember messages from three years ago. Actually, you know what? It's been five years ago. I'm sorry, five years ago. I don't expect you to remember that, but I would expect that you'd study and understand and comprehend the kingdom. And when we went through those series of messages, I pointed out that there are stages or tenses of God's kingdom. Whenever the kingdom of God or all the different titles by which it is called in scripture is used you got to determine which stage or tense of kingdom is being spoken of because there was a past kingdom there is a present kingdom and as we have discovered in our study of heaven there is yet a future kingdom now when jesus says in verse number three except the man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god which kingdom is he talking about now there's room for disagreement on this for sure. But I believe that he's probably referring to the present kingdom. 
the present kingdom. What is the present kingdom? The present kingdom is a spiritual kingdom in which Jesus Christ reigns and rules in the hearts of all of the saved on earth. It is described in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 13 where the Bible reads about Christ. He hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath, present tense, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And so if you're saved this morning, you are currently residing in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual kingdom whereby Christ rules and reigns in the hearts of all of the saved on earth. I believe it's that kingdom that Jesus is t- uh, referring to when he talks to Nicodemus. You say, well, why would you say that? We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. Well, just hold on. We're going to get there. Okay. Now, the word see in verse 3. The word see. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see is the Greek word eidos. E-I-D-O-S. The Greek word eidos literally means to be aware of to perceive, to know or become acquainted with. And so it appears as though Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, except someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except the man be born again, he cannot come to know the things of God. He cannot comprehend them. He cannot understand them. He has no conscience. He's not conscious of the kingdom of God. Now notice here, as Jesus introduces the prerequisite, you must be born again. Notice Nicodemus' ignorance. Complete ignorance of the, of the prerequisite. And by the way, when the word ignorance is used, uh, you know, sometimes we use that in a defamatory or derogatory way, a pejorative way, you know, say, well, man, that guy's an ignoramus. But ignorance simply means a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of knowledge, and Nicodemus is ignorant of the prerequisite. We know he's ignorant of the prerequisite, because look at his classic response in verse number 4. Jesus says, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says in verse number 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Do you get that? It's like... It goes right by Nicodemus. He doesn't grasp that Jesus is talking about spiritual things that ultimately result in whether or not somebody enters into the real kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus completely misses it. Now, notice Jesus here says, except a man, in verse number number 3, except a man be born again. Now, we should become familiar and know a little bit about that term. It is a term that Nicodemus should have known. He is a master instructor of the Jews. And the Jews used the term born again with proselytes who had converted to Judaism. In fact, they called them, uh, uh, they said when when somebody converted to Judaism, they were like a child newborn. So Jesus is using terms that Nicodemus should have been familiar with. Now what is it, and let's just make sure we're all on the same page this morning. We're talking about who goes to heaven. Jesus gives us the prerequisite. Except the man be born again. Do you know what that means to be born again? If if we're in a class, let's say we're a class. 
And I call on you this morning and I say, can you tell me what it is to be born again? Could you explain that? And I'm not talking about whether or not you could explain it in theological or soteriological terms, but could you just say, brother, I've been born again and here's what it means to be born again. Could you? Do you know what he's talking about? Because if you are blind to what he is talking about, you are not entering into heaven. And I hate to be blunt this morning, but I must be. Except the man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot understand spiritual things. And if you can't understand spiritual things, as Jesus says a little bit later on, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. We've studied what it means to be born again multiple times in the past. A couple terms that are used for for born again are the new birth or regeneration. And what is it that the Bible talks about when it mentions the new birth or regeneration? i just give you again a definition that by this point in sitting under my ministry, you should understand we've looked at it multiple times in our Bible Institute through messages through the years, through studies of the doctrines of the Word of God. A.H. Uh, Strong, in his work on systematic theology, gives us a working definition of what the new birth is. Strong describes it as that act of God by which the governing disposition of the soul is made holy and by which through the truth as a means the first holy exercise of this disposition is secured. It is a change in a governing disposition. It is being brought from death to life. It is being brought from blind to having sight. It is being brought from being deaf to being able to hear. It is becoming a child of God. You were not a child of God at one point in your life and God saved you by His grace. He birthed you into His kingdom and He made you a child of God. You were born again. Now the new birth consists of two aspects, as you well know, the divine side and the human side. And I'm here to say this morning that if you cannot say today emphatically that you have repented of your sins and by faith trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ as your all in all as it relates to you gaining entrance into heaven and your standing with God. If you cannot say that you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ and that to make you accepted, you're not entering heaven. You're not entering heaven. This is the Word of God. We are brought to a place in our lives. And beloved, I say it again how I remember the struggle that, that, that raged within me being a lost church member and coming to the conclusion that I'm lost and undone reading the word of God and understanding that I'm Nicodemus I don't understand that I, I, I don't have assurance that I'm going to heaven I've been relying on religion and reformation and the point where God brought me to a place where He revealed to me His Son and I fled for refuge by the grace of God to Jesus Christ. Jesus died for sinners. Have you fled for refuge to Christ? Has He made you new? That's the human side of the new birth. Now, if you've done that, that is evidence of the divine side of the new birth, which we know is called quickening. Now, Nicodemus was like a lot of church members. Do you know that the term being born again 
was never used in relation to Jews, only to proselytes that converted to Judaism. And so when you think about it, why would Nicodemus think that this applied to him? And you know, there are many church members that hear the preaching on the new birth, and they don't think it applies to them. Oh, well, you know what? I said a prayer years ago. I'm okay. Or I did this. Or have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I've always been a Christian. And folks, I'm telling you, that the vast majority, my belief is that the vast majority of church members today are not saved and don't know anything of the new birth. And I will tell you this. You want to know who's going to heaven? Those who are conscious of the prerequisite that you must be born again. Now what was Nicodemus's response? He was completely blind. In verse number 4, and by the way, verse number 4 is important because it gives us context when we talk about verse number 5. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about being physically born. He's completely blind. The sinner is blind before the grace of God. And not only is he completely blind, but he is completely bewildered. Look at verses 9 and 10 of our text. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? You ever have an earth-shattering event in your life and you say, I don't, I don't understand how this can be. This, I, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. And your world is literally shocked. I've had multiple experiences like that in my life. None more so than being brought to the conclusion that, you know what? You're not a child of God. But how, how can this be? Nicodemus says, how can these things be? He doesn't understand the concept of the new birth. And Jesus in verse number 10 answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? How can you be a religious leader, Nicodemus, and you don't understand the first thing about knowing God? I've said it before. You doubt somebody knows anything spiritually. Ask them how you get to heaven. Hey, how can you get to heaven? I, I told you this story before. I had a friend that one time in recruiting service out in Pittsburgh, and he told me about a time he got got in a taxi and uh, happened to be a, a, a Catholic priest in the taxi, and he started talking to that Catholic priest, and he said, can you tell me how to get to heaven? That Catholic priest couldn't tell him how to get to heaven. How sad. The blind leading the blind. And there are many preachers today. And there are many church members today. They might be a treasurer, and they might be a deacon, and they might be a Sunday school teacher, and you name it, and they have no idea of who is going to heaven. They cannot tell you how to get to heaven. They are like Nicodemus. They are completely blind and bewildered. Thank God for the day that He he lets you realize, removes the blinders that you might see, man, I'm not a child of God. How do I become a child of God? Ye must be born again. Now notice that those who do go to heaven are first of all those who are conscious of the prerequisite being born again, but secondly, only those who conform to the prerequisite of being born again. In other words, there isn't anyone in heaven who has not been born again. So we conclude that just knowing about the new birth is not enough. Just knowing that you must be born again is not enough. You must be conscious of it, but you must also conform to it. Now notice this new birth. 
It is, first of all, a double birth. Now look at verse number 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now Jesus' response is to Nicodemus, who has just asked him the question about, can a man enter the womb the second time and be born the second time physically? So context is important. And I know that I, in this point, I disagree with a lot of wiser men than I do. But I think when he's talking about the water, I don't think it's the water of the Word. I think it's the physical birth. Jesus is saying, you've got to be born physically, but you also got to be born spiritually. It's a double birth. It's a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Now, notice in verse number 5 that here Jesus says, uh, He says, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now here I believe that Jesus transitions his usage of the stage or the, or the tense of kingdom. And he's not talking about the present kingdom of God, but now he's talking about the future kingdom. That which we, we would call the eternal kingdom. That which we would say is the kingdom of heaven. The third heaven. The dwelling place of God. As the Bible calls it, a new heaven. Jesus says, except the man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is making it clear that if you have not conformed by the grace of God to this prerequisite, you are not going to enter into what we would refer to as the eternal kingdom of heaven. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 12 shows us how that The new birth is accomplished by the movement of God in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 12 where Paul writes, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's talking about that physical place where we will dwell eternally and we give thanks unto the Father by that, for that. So, so, So those who conform to the prerequisite of being born again They are the ones who will enter into heaven. It is a double birth. It is not just being born physically here, but it is being born spiritually. It is a distinct birth. It's distinct. Notice verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. This is a distinct birth. The flesh profits nothing. John wrote this in John chapter 6 and verse number 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. What does that mean, quickeneth? Makes alive. It's the spirit that makes alive. It's the spirit that gives that new birth. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so, literally, what we have here is a contrast between the natural man, who is described as what? Flesh. And the new man, who is created after the Spirit of God. Now, God is a Spirit, is He not? And they that worship Him must worship Him how? In Spirit and in truth. Now, somehow, there's got to be that first birth, that physical birth, whereby a person comes into existence. But then there's got to be that second birth, which is a spiritual birth, which takes that person from just having that fleshly nature and changes their governing disposition and makes them a child of God. Without that, it is impossible for somebody to not only see the kingdom of God, 
but enter into the kingdom of heaven. Thomas Boston, the old Puritan, he lived in the 1600s, he wrote this in reference to the absolute necessity of the new birth, the distinct birth. Uh, Boston wrote, Regeneration is absolutely necessary to qualify you for heaven. None go to heaven but those who are made meet for it. As it was with Solomon's temple, so it is with the temple above. It is built of stone made ready before it is brought thither, namely of lively stones, for they cannot be laid in this glorious building just as they come out of the quarry of depraved nature. Jewels of gold are not meat for swine, and far less jewels of glory for unrenewed sinners. Beggars in their rags are not fit for king's houses, nor sinners to enter into the king's palace without the raiment of needlework. And he's talking about the robes of righteousness that are placed upon us as we are born again. It is this new birth. It is a double birth. It is a distinct birth. Notice verse 7. It is a demanded birth. In verse 7, the Bible reads, Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. Try as we might to gain entrance by our religion. Try as we might to gain entrance by the, by the ruling that we have here on this earth or the fact that we recognize who Christ is or that we've reformed or that we think that we're somehow without sin or reproach. The demanded birth is the new birth. Notice the new birth in verse number 7. The demanded birth. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. There is no admittance into the kingdom of heaven without it. Do you realize this morning do you realize this morning that you, you can't go to heaven without being born again? There is no shortcut. There is no way to get there without going God's way. It is to be born again. Without the demanded new birth, there is no ability to have spiritual life. You can't understand spiritual things. They're spiritually discerned. And yes, there is no affection for spiritual matters. The lost sinner doesn't want to go to heaven. They don't really want to go to heaven. What they really want to do is escape torment. They really want to escape hell. It's not that they want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. And there's a vast difference, beloved. And I would say this morning that even wanting to go to heaven is not the right reason that somebody's saved. It's a desire to be cleansed from your unrighteousness and your sin. And a byproduct of that is getting to dwell eternally with the Lord and His people. Notice lastly, we're talking about those who go to heaven. There are those who are conscious of the prerequisite, the new birth. There are those who are conformed to the prerequisite, being born again. Notice, fourthly and finally, that this is a divine birth. In verse number 8. Notice verse number 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. You see the result. You don't direct it. Nobody here directs the wind. I, man, I can remember times in Texas and Ohio and other places where I've gone run. I go out and get, get involved in a run, you know, and it's like I'm fighting against the wind, and it's like, what's the point? You know, what's, what's the use? I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. And the, as much as I would have wanted to direct the wind to go the other direction, I couldn't direct the wind. You can't direct the wind. You can't do it. You can't direct the birth of a child of God. You can't direct the Spirit of God. It is a divine birth. He says here in verse number 8, uh, So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Paul, in writing to Titus, wrote this, 
as it relates to our eternal dwelling place with God and our acceptance into spiritual things of the Lord. In Titus 3 and verse number 5, Paul wrote, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. It's a divine birth. It's a spiritual birth. Who's going to heaven? Only those that have been born again. What is it to be born again? It is to be brought to a place in your life where you completely see your condemnation before God and you surrender your arms and you fall down on your face and you plead with God that He might forgive you based upon the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see God, what would you say to God as to why He would let you gain entrance into heaven? There is no secret password. Why should God let you into heaven? And you say, well, God, I was religious. And I, I served you here on this earth. Wrong reason. Why should God let you know? Well, God, I was important here on this earth. Man, I was a preacher. I was a pastor of a church. Wrong answer. Well, God, I knew, I knew who Christ was. And I, I told others that Christ was the Son of God. And that Christ came to die for sinners. Wrong answer. God... You gave your son to die for me. Christ died for me. There is no other answer. There's nothing else that we can plead but the all-sufficient atoning death of Christ. Why should a wretch like me be allowed to enter into heaven? Christ died for me. Christ shed his blood for me. And it is on that basis alone that I can say with complete confidence I'm a child of God. I'm born again. Not because of who I am, but because of who He is and what He did. Who's going to heaven? Only those who've been born again. We considered in this short series a place called heaven. There is a real place called heaven. It's a place of physical beauty, perpetual bliss, and the presence of God the Father and the Lamb. We know what we will do in heaven. But are you going to be in heaven? You can know that today. You can rest assured today that in spite of all that happens in this earth, in this wretched place that we are in, heaven awaits. Oh, what a day. And you can know that. Be born again. We point you to Christ. Him crucified and risen again and on the right hand of the Father. Let's pray.